And the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So we have spent the last few weeks uh, in Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. The danger when we uh, read the Sermon on the Mount is we read it in little bits. And then we read it as unconnected with what comes before it and what comes after it. We forget that this block of teaching, and it is a block of teaching, not a whole lot of individual little bits of teaching that we can kind of take out and read on its own, uh, plays a central role in Matthew's Gospel. It gives words to what Jesus has already been doing and saying up to this point. It lays the theological foundation for the rest of the Gospel, for what he will say and do in the rest of the Gospel. And it reminds his listeners that what Torah and the prophets have always taught about what the empire of heaven looks like. What life looks like if we look at Deuteronomy 30. So to remind us the context of the Sermon on the Mount and what we heard today. Jesus returns from the wilderness where his identity as Son of God has been sorely tested. We'll hear about that in a couple of weeks at the beginning of Lent. And he hears of John the Baptizer's arrest and responds by going back to Galilee to the small fishing town of Capernaum where he teaches and heals. And crowds come to him, sick people, poor people, Invisible and broken people, crushed by Rome's empire, mourning the deaths of children and family members, mourning their lives, longing for another way. And Jesus brings healing and hope in his actions and his words. Eventually, he calls some people who have been listening to him, fishermen and others, to follow him. He invites them to give away all that they are, to let go of who they are, their family, their relationships, and the roles that have sustained them up to this point and defined them. And he invites them to follow to a new identity, to be his disciples. And some follow. And after a while, a short while, he gathers them up a hill overlooking their world of all they had known of life, with its grief and despair, violence always lurking at the edge, poverty defining every day, and gesturing at this world, at the place where he has taught and healed, he gives words to his deeds, and he says, Imagine a world where the most important people are the poor, the broken, those who have lost hope. How different would this world be? Can you imagine a world where we look up to those who mourn, or where people aspire to be like the humble? That is what the empire of heaven looks like. 
I long for people to join me in honouring those who hunger and thirst for God's righteousness. Well, we all revere the merciful, not the powerful. And we all have enough to thrive, and hunger and fear are no more. Imagine a world where the pure in heart receive greatest honour, or where children grow up aspiring to be numbered among the peacemakers. For the sake of all you see out there, all who are listening, and all who have come for healing and hope, hold in the greatest honour those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the empire of heaven. How different would this world be? This is not our world. Imagine this world for a moment. When we imagine this world, live in this world, help this world come into being, then we are the salt disks of the earth oven, helping heaven's rain bubble away. And when we imagine this world, live in this world, we are light, lighting the rain of heaven, living so others will see God's goodness. And he continues, Don't think that my teachings replace or reduce the law and the prophets. Don't think for a moment this is all new. Don't even think you can skip the details. Details count. But something more than the details is needed. You must align your whole self to what God desires. And what does God desire? The world he's just described. Hell and the Beatitudes. This is the empire of heaven. So different from Rome's empire. This is what the law and the prophets have always been about. But Jesus doesn't stop here. He goes on and he offers examples of what he has been talking about so far. What he meant by I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Only most of the time, because we chop up the Bible into little bits with separate headings and chapters, and because we chop it up Sunday by Sunday, and because we hardly ever read the whole of the Sermon of the Mount in one hit, when was the last time you read the Sermon on the Mount in one hit? I did on Thursday because I thought, I can't say that unless I've actually read it all in one hit. So I sat down and read it all in one hit. But I couldn't tell you the time, but it was probably three years ago, the last time I did it. Unless we read it all in one hit, we miss it. We hear Jesus doing the very thing that he said he was not doing. We hear him giving new law, new rules, when he just said, I'm not doing that. I'm not offering something new. This is what the law and the prophets have been about since the beginning. This is not a new law. This is a reading of the law. You have heard it said. That's an honorific of referring back to what the Torah says. 
But I say to you, that is the rabbinic way of saying, and this is how I read it. It's a common way of teaching how to read law. And it's not even a particularly new one. There were other rabbis teaching very similar things at the same time as Jesus. This is a reading based on everything that he has just said. A reading based on the Beatitudes and the world imagined in them. A reading that invites us here is not so much to obey the law, but to be transformed by the law and the prophets, so that they might be salt and light, living the world of the Beatitudes into being. That's really what Psalm 119 is all about. At 8.30, David said, we're now going to respond to that first reading by praying together Psalm 119. And I went, I hope not. That's a very long psalm. We're going to be here for a long time if that's what we're doing. But it's all about the law, Torah. It's all about loving the law. It's all about allowing the law to seep into you and to transform you from within. It's not so much about obeying the law as allowing the law to be the basis of your life. It's a subtly but important, different way of understanding what it's about. So Jesus begins with a commandment. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fall, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Which is a problem, because I often think people are fools when I'm driving. <laughs> if they just drove like me, life would be much better. When our relationship with each other, relationships with each other are broken, when we fail to see each other as our brother or sister, when we fail to see each other as the children of God, when we see others as objects of our scorn, derision and hate, or objects of our fantasies and desires, when we place our own flourishing ahead of everyone else, then our community is not as God desires and the Beatitudes are not lived out. And we open the door to exclusion and belittlement and violence and racism and sexual harassment and rape and abuse and murder. And we blame the other person most of the time. And we turn what Jesus said into new rules. A few years ago at the Parachute Festival, Christian Music Festival, that was at that point over at Tortra Springs, there was an announcement that all the girls needed to cover up um, because men, the boys, were thinking bad thoughts and they were tempting them. And I was with this young guy who was outraged utterly outraged and he went off to tell them that men should take care of their own thoughts. It wasn't the girls' fault that they were thinking those thoughts. It was their fault 
And actually, if the girls had to cover up, so did the guys. And actually, they did later on say the guys had to put their shirts back on as well. But actually, that phrase has been used to justify, because it's a law, well, men can't be tempted to think lustful thoughts, and if they do, it has to be the woman's fault. And women have carried the brunt of that through their actions or what they've worn or whatever. We've used that to excuse very poor behaviour on behalf of men. It's their fault. If they hadn't dressed like that, I wouldn't have behaved like that. Which is the exact opposite of what Jesus was on about. Jesus was saying we have to look at ourselves, at our own desires, our own motivations, our own needs, and stop placing ourselves first. Stop seeing others as objects, because when we do that, we're on a slippery slope. And the end result of that is the mosque shootings in Christchurch and the incredible speech around the protests at Parliament last year on both sides and the unforgivable abuse that was levelled at our Prime Minister. And it continues on social media. Because they no longer see the other person as a person, as their sister or their brother, simply as an object that they can then abuse as they see fit. And that's the extreme, but if we dial that back, we do it all the time. We talk about the Māori, silent seekers, the unemployed, the poor, the homeless, those in gangs. And the minute we put a title on those people, we make them an object, no longer our sister or brother, no longer, no longer worthy of our attention, and we can place ourselves at the centre of our story and not need to worry about them. And that will happen a lot this year because it's an election year. So the invitation in what Jesus was saying today was to not do that. And that's hard, isn't it? I mean, I find it hard enough not to say, you fool, or other words, as I get to roundabouts and the person in front of me has got a huge gap and doesn't go. For goodness sake, just go, you fool! <laughs> Instead of taking a breath. And that's the beginning. That's just the beginning. So the invitation today is to actually pay attention to ourselves and how we are salt and light, how we live out the Beatitudes or not, what our motivations, desires and needs are and how we place those first, as difficult as that is. So I invite you to turn around. I have more pictures and have a conversation with the people around you about what I've said, what stood out, what you agree with, what you don't agree with, what you're going to do with it all. Maybe nothing, that's alright. Just have a conversation.